0: Malolole, you're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, Kohoku Hingua, Kokoroi Hawkins. Coming up, Diabetes New Zealand is urging the government to fund life-saving continuous glucose monitors. There's
1: no funding for this technology, so it costs people anywhere between $100 and $200 a week, depending on which device they have.
0: A costume from the latest Spider-Man, a private banquet and an opera evening about some of the items up for auction in support of children in Tonga
2: putting situations in that are, for the long term, like a resilient recovery process rather than a patch-up.
0: And we start a new Talanoa series on the Pacific tuna fishery and why measuring illegal, unreported and unregulated fishing matters. Diabetes New Zealand is urging the government to fund continuous glucose monitors and flash glucose monitors devices which significantly change the lives of anyone dependent on insulin, including more than 25,000 children and adults living with type 1 diabetes and many more with type 2. The organisation called on people with diabetes and allies around New Zealand this week to flood Facebook and Instagram with images and posts illustrating the burden of diabetes and the life-saving impact of modern technology. According to the Ministry of Health, prevalence of diabetes in Māori and Pacific populations is around three times higher than among other New Zealanders. RNZ Pacific reporter, Final Funua, spoke with the chief executive of Diabetes New Zealand, Heather Vary, about the social media initiative.
1: Well, the objective is to get funding for uh, technology for people with diabetes and and what we're looking for is for CGM funding and FGM funding, and they are the two devices at the moment that we are um, putting our support behind. And these are life-saving devices. They really help um, people with diabetes to better manage their diabetes. Uh, and also, it saves the the daily um, testing themselves, um, finger pricking. They can a type one can individually do something between four and ten times a day, and that's what this. A social media campaign is about what we're saying is to this is like a, a visual um, understanding for people as to what it means to have to test themselves 10 times a day and how many strips they have to use so um, yeah it's just a visual way of of saying to um, government and Pharmac um, this is what it means not to have a uh, not to have the technology
3: and uh, this device how exactly does it work it, they only have to get tested once a day or?
1: No, the actual device is they have a sensor, which can be on the arm or some other part of their body. And this actually um, monitors their um, blood glucose levels. And the technology is such that it will um, feed the information through to the pumps which feed insulin into, their, into them. So this is constant um, mon- monitoring which saves the finger pricks because that's the manual way of monitoring your, um, your blood glucose levels. What the technology does is it really does save the whole um, potential for hospitalization during to um, an event happening where you haven't um, you haven't realized that you're actually moving into what they call a hypo where they've got either too much ins- insulin or not enough um, and they're often sort of very low their blood sugar levels are very low which is very dangerous for someone with diabetes.
3: with this device uh, a person can't get it. Uh, through ACC or through um, through the healthcare system,
1: there's no funding for this technology, so it costs people anywhere between 100 and 200 dollars a week, depending on which device they have.
3: And it would it would improve their their quality of life significantly.
1: Yep it's it's what they call life changing yeah. and life saving benefits to it, um, and especially for for young children. Children are Parents are needing to check their children's, uh, prick their fingers, even during the night, to make sure that they're okay. So it means that the, the parents, as well as the child, might actually get a good night's sleep for once if they have a monitor.
3: Is it true that the majority of of people in diabetes are Pacific Island and Maori, or, or are they overrepresented? <laughs>
1: Um, there is a high prevalence of people of marine Pacific Island, but also Indian. Um, Indian has got a high prevalence. And that's type two, that's type two, not type one.
3: And, and with this social media um, initiative, what exactly are people doing? They just they're showing their life as a diabetic.
1: They've, they've been collecting for a month their strips. And they're going to um, paste them on their body to show just how many times they have to test their blood glucose levels in the course of a month. And if they're doing it 10 times a day, you can imagine how many strips that will be. It's, It's a visual illustration of what it means to have diabetes.
0: Schools are yet to reopen in many parts of Tonga, where communities are still reeling from the devastation wrought by the January 15 volcanic eruption and tsunami. In an urgent bid to help the children of Tonga, New Zealand celebrity chef Robert Oliver, member of the New Zealand Order of Merit, has teamed up with UNICEF Aotearoa for a money can't buy charity auction. Launched on Trade Me on Friday, the Two Tonga With Love auction features items such as a costume worn by Academy Award-winning actress Marisa Tomei in the latest Spider-Man film, and a private banquet and opera evening with performers including Pene Patti of Sole Mio. Robert Oliver joins me now alongside Dr. Francis Wulivuli from UNICEF, who has just arrived in Tonga to help out with the relief effort on the ground. Bula and welcome on Pacific Waves. Let's start with you, Robert. Why have you decided to help pull this auction together?
2: A few years ago, when Cyclone Winston hit Fiji, me and a group of friends put an event together. It was a big event, lots of people came, and I realized through that, that it wasn't just about raising money, it was about bringing the situation in Fiji at that time back into the news cycle. And Tonga, it's not all over the news at the moment. The recovery is long-term and it needs long-term awareness and thus support. We wanted to do something that involved a lot of people, because people do want to support Tonga and did it in a way that was like COVID safe. And and the idea of doing an event, of course, was out of the question. So the idea was born to do uh, an online auction in support of UNICEF, uh, Te who in turn supports UNICEF Pacific. And so we reached out to our friends and and you'll see that the auction items are a, a representation of all sorts of incredible talent.
0: I saw some interesting stuff on there if you want to go through some of them for
2: us. <laughs> well, I mean, this is, you know, that, that cliche, there's something for everyone. This time it's actually true, right? There's a bunch of chefs in Auckland and, and New Zealand have given dinners, but they're not just dinners. They are hosting the, the, the bidders themselves and they're curating a special menu. So the idea with this whole thing was to do something that was more about an experience rather than just a kind of a gift certificate type thing. and It was also about recognising everyone's busy, so let's see what they regularly do, that they can contribute something that's personal, kind of bespoke. Sam Neill has given a whole bunch of memorabilia from Jurassic World, which are signed by the whole cast. So for movie buffs, that's massive, right? Marissa Tomei, who's a good friend of mine, has contributed... The jumpsuit that she wore on Spider-Man No Way Home, so that's another movie buff one. My personal favorite, which I probably shouldn't say that, it's like a favorite child, right, is Carlo Miller, the extraordinary Tongan poet, is offering to do a Zoom session with the Bitter for Her offering, and then create a poem, teach them how to write a poem for themselves, but then also write a poem about them for them so this is I mean for me as an author right this is like the stuff of dreams because I've always been really intrigued by the magic of poetry and it's it's something that's out of my grasp so it's something I may be bidding on myself
0: (laughs) that does sound super interesting yeah that would be cool (laughs) I'll bring you in here Francis the importance of the long-term recovery which Robert's talking about why is it important
4: well, I'm speaking right now from quarantine. I haven't really gone out into Tonga, but uh, we've been in discussions with the team on the ground, and uh, we, we um, a few of us from UNICEF, are ready to, you know, once we come out of quarantine, to hit the ground and support. Um, um, how we can just ramp, ramp up our support, but it's important that the longer-term support only now uh, we are realizing that in the initial assessment, things didn't really look as um, as bad as we had thought. We're realizing that, you know, there may be more effects of the volcano and the tsunami um, that the children and their families are facing. For example, some nutritional needs that's out there that's only evident after a few months down the line from when the disaster happened. And it's important that, you know, with the immediate needs, um, ensuring that, you know, water was safe for consumption and all that. But, uh, you know, it's an ongoing support that uh, UNICEF uh, is here to provide. And uh, the main aim is to support the government of Tonga to make the country a safe space for children. And, you know, it's providing assistance towards safe drinking water, access to basic health services, the safe reopening of schools. And in addition, most importantly, also to provide children um, and their families with the psychosocial support that they require to overcome the trauma uh, from the volcanic eruption and uh, the tsunami. It's really just to, you know, make them feel safe again. Uh, Ultimately, that's where we are heading towards and working with the team on the ground, closely with um, the government of Tonga, to ensure that um, they're able to build back and um, live as close to normal lives again.
0: Okay, and back to the auction. It started last week. What are you aiming for?
2: It's going till next Monday, so do jump on the Trade Me site and, and look for a UNICEF Aotearoa on there. We're aiming to raise funds, of course, for UNICEF. Um, I've worked with UNICEF on and off for years, so I know they are the real deal on the ground. But it's also, you know, as I said about injecting the Aotearoa public with an awareness that the issues in Tonga are ongoing. This is a really good time to rebuild in a great way. And that's part of UNICEF's focus, putting situations in that are for the long term, like a resilient recovery process rather than a patch up.
0: A recently released study on Pacific fisheries has credited effective monitoring and surveillance alongside improved data reporting for its finding that illegal fishing is far less of a problem than was stated in an earlier report from 2016, which estimated losses of over 600 million US dollars a year. Joining me for this week's Talanoa series on tuna is Francisco Blaha, an offshore fisheries advisor to the Marshall Islands Marine Resources Authority who is part of the MRAG Asia-Pacific Independent Study Team, commissioned by the Foreign Fisheries Agency, or the FFA. Nisambulubinaka, Francisco, tell us more about illegal, unreported and unregulated fishing, or IU fishing in the Pacific, and why these reports are important.
5: Because if we know how much it is and where it is, then we can take uh, management measures and uh, actions and put money and tools where the issues are. So there was an initial uh, study made in 20 th- that published in 2016 that analyzed the, the estimates of IUU fishing, but also n- where the main problems were for the four years before. And then in 2020, there was a second, an update of this done by uh, the same group that did the first one, which is a big consulting company called Embrac in Australia. And uh, I was totally honored that they invited me to be part of it. So uh, this is one of those jobs that you take a lot of pride on. And basically, we went to see from the first one that we did, that they did, how much better or worse where we are now. It's, it's funny because, you know, as we discussed before, uh, everyone says, are you you? one thing, but there are three different things, you know, illegal, unreported and unregulated. So a lot of the... A lot of the talk always is, ah, oh, you know, the illegal boats coming to the Pacific, you know, and, you know, the, their confirmation, they fish illegally, and well, that's, that's not been a problem for a long time now for us. Uh, has been mostly the main problem is the uh, unreported or the misreporting or the underreporting by the fleet that actually is allowed to be here, which is, you know, it's a complex one because you have to, you know, how you wait to fish on a vessel, you know, it's really hard. So you need to do it once being unloaded, but a lot of this is trans-shipped and then sent somewhere else, so there is a whole work there. Yet, uh, based on a lot of the work done before, we put attention to that. And the volumes for misreporting uh, went down, went down uh, substantially. So in. You know, the report is available, but basically, uh, you know, in most metrics we went down in estimates from uh, 40 to 50 percent. The initial estimates that were around 600 million dollars of loss. Of non-reported fish, now around 300. But the main thing was, that is always a funny one, because it's the rent loss, what you want to know, is how much fish, how much money does the, the but the Pacific Islands have lost, in reality. And you're talking
0: licenses and fishing rights, no, right? No,
5: no, no. That was the that's the estimated of the unreported. And the other thing is important to know the difference in between what is the Persane fishery, what is the southern longline fishery, what is the tropical longline fishery. The management of the Persane fishery, it's um, it's very, it's mostly through the PNA vessel day scheme where the vessels basically buy days to fish. Yeah. Yet they still have to be licensed in the traditional way to fish in the waters of the countries. Because basically I'll say 90% of the percent fishery happens in uh, the waters of the Pacific Island Nations. Therefore they have the capacity to say, okay mate, if you want to fish here, these are the conditions. Yeah. Yet uh, with the longline fishery, this is much much harder because only around 40% of all the catches do happen in the, in the waters of the countries. Most of it happens in the high seas. And in the high seas, while we have rules set up by the Commission, the enforcement of those rules is in the hands of the flag states. Yeah? The flag state is the, is the flag of the vessel in the back. So let's say, uh, you know, uh, a boat from China, the enforcement of the rules when they fish in the high seas is with China. So we, as a coastal state, we can see them fish, but no, they no much else. They are in the high seas. Yeah, and they have to report, et cetera, et cetera. I'm just using China as an example, you know, could have been Korea, could have been, you know, Taiwan. The problem there is that those vessels fish in the high seas and they don't go back to the port of origin. They transship in the high seas. And as you know from other things you have published, the transshipment in the high seas is problematic because there is no independent reporting to be checked. And here is where the issue that we mostly have in the Pacific is the issue of the three letters, the I for illegal, unreported, and unregulated. So this is mostly about unreported, and it's about misreporting. Or under reporting. So misreporting is I'm telling you I caught something else, and under reporting is I'm telling you I caught something but below what I already caught.
0: Minaka Francisco will continue our Talanoa on tuna tomorrow, but that's specific waves for now. Remember you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Mom me a.